I should go? Yeah, go ahead. Okay, a little static here over there to get started. Yeah. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Let's Talk Torah. I am Rabbi Tzu Jacobson with New Radio Media. We will spend the next hour talking Torah, learning stuff, and having fun while we learn. If you'd like to contact the show, you can call in 844-999-9249 or email us at letstalktorah at gmail.com or you can join our Facebook page at Let's Talk Torah. This week's show is in memory of my father, Ariel Ben Chaim Gavriel. And if you'd like to sponsor a show in memory of a loved one or in merit that someone should have a speedy recovery, just go to the website or send me a message to our Facebook page or you can just email me at letstalktorah at gmail.com. No apostrophes. So I missed you guys the last two weeks. Oh, we missed you. Yeah, yeah, I'm sorry. As uh, many people know, my father passed away about two weeks ago when I was in New York for what's called the Shiva, which we're going to spend some, to- some time talking about. And uh, just as a quick question for you, uh, have you ever had a close relative pass away? Not, not really. Um... No, I've uh, my my grandfather passed away uh, just a couple of years ago, and that's probably like probably the closest. That's the closest for you know for a lot of kids. That's what they experience first is yeah. a is a grandparent. I mean, obviously, we hope it's a grandparent and a parent, mm-hmm. and uh, certainly not a child. So this week happens to be the perfect week to talk about the laws of mourning, um, because in this week's Torah portion, Abraham has to bury or last week's Torah portion. I'm sorry. Abraham has to bury his wife, Sarah, or Sarah. So we have to discuss her death, her uh, burial. Um, we're also going to point out a very, a very important, I guess, rule to live by, mm-hmm. and that's to never feel bad um, when you've done something good. You've done a good deed. It's in your bank account. Don't ruin it. And that we're going to talk about. Um, we're also going to try to get into, I guess, as the world turns, so Abraham's wife passes away, and it's time for Isaac to get a wife, and Abraham will send his trusted servant to get that wife, and we'll talk about that entire meeting. Okay. But I'll take the opportunity before we start about the Acts of Torah portion, talk about my father a little bit, tell you some interesting stories. Um, here's an interesting one, mm-hmm. um, and I'm not sure if there's a source for it. But in any case, my father-in-law tells me, he says, when God was looking for one of the angels to be the angel of death. So he's looking around, and nobody wants the job. Nobody wants the job. Who wants to be the bad guy? So God says, don't worry. No one will ever blame you. It was the doctor. It was the ambulance. No one was around. They, they, they gave the wrong medicine. All kinds of excuses. Right. But it's never going to be the angel of death's fault. Well, actually... In my father's case, it was really quite amazing. Um, in the, on the East Coast, there's a fantastic, uh, I guess we'll call it an ambulance service. Mm-hmm. They go by a Hebrew name called Hatzalah, from the word to save. So what you have is you have a large group of volunteers who live everywhere, and they have all their stuff with them. So when a call comes into the central station that there's an emergency, so they don't have to you know, pack up the ambulance and drive. They send out a call, who's in this neighborhood? So in my father's case, there was actually somebody there within 30 seconds. Really? Yeah. I mean, I was telling everybody a minute, 
And they said, nope, we were here in 30 seconds. It's unheard of here. Yeah, it's unheard of. It's unheard of. <laughs> it's unheard of. It's really, it's really amazing. And they're dedicated day and night. And these guys come and they'll come again. And they don't give up. They don't give up. They were working on him. Got him into the ambulance. Got him to the hospital. Unfortunately, it was not to be. So therefore, I told my father-in-law, this time, I blame the angel of death. Okay. My father was a man mm-hmm. that everyone could learn from. He was, he was really quite amazing. It's, I think it's good when a child feels that way about his parents. Hopefully we all do. Um, he was non-judgmental. He didn't care what you look like. He didn't care where you came from. He didn't care your background. He loved everybody. And you saw that by the funeral, the people that were there were from all walks of life. And I mean all walks of life. They could look like me. They could look, uh, it didn't matter. They could look like anybody. Religious, irreligious, Jewish, not Jewish. He didn't care. He really took care of everybody. And numerous people said that my father was their best friend. Now, I'm not sure if he was really their best friend, but he certainly did a good job convincing everybody that he was their best friend. He was actually a volunteer fireman, 40 really? years, I think. Really? Which means, same idea, by the way, same concept. You wake up in the middle of the night, during the afternoon, or his work let him go to calls. And uh, my brother said he didn't turn over and go back to sleep. He always, always went to take care of people, to help people. Even as he got older, they sort of had to make rules and regulations, give him different jobs because he was too old right. to go into structures and things like that. Um, even the funeral procession, there was a fire truck leading the way. There was a group of firemen and the cars and the lights. It was really, really um, quite amazing. And I'll just end with one more thing, then we'll move along. And that was a friend of mine said very beautifully, he said, if the world would be filled with people like my father was, then the Messiah would already be here. It would be the messianic times because people would be so good and so understanding and so wonderful. But okay, so let's get into, uh, but again, before we get into the Torah portion, um, I was gone for two weeks. Yes. And the reason I was gone is because there's a lot of laws involved in the mourning process. And I must tell you, it is an amazing process. It just gives a person the ability to to wrap his head around the situation. Even though I see uh, uh, Darren's not here to take phone calls, but just in case, if you still want to join the conversation, I'm sure we'll figure out a way somehow to get you in. You can call us at 844-999-9249. That's 844-999-9249. So, you gotta get you gotta get some feelings here for what happens during a a the whole funeral and the whole process to wrap your your head around what's going on. First of all, it's very important um, in the in in the Jewish funeral process that we do not want to delay the burial at all. If we could get somebody into the ground within you know a few hours. They will do it. In Jerusalem, actually, they have a rule. They will not leave somebody overnight. So they are going to have a funeral at 2 o'clock in the morning. And I was by such a funeral once. They, they want, we, we want the person buried immediately. It's, it's an honor for the body. Again, you have to remember, there's a, there's a soul and there's a body. And the soul is separated from the body. And the soul is observing what's going on. And it's very confused. The sooner the body gets into the ground with... With no, not, not, not autopsies, not nothing that would disturb the soul, the better. So therefore, we try to make the funeral as quickly as possible. In my father's case, 
I, I couldn't get an early flight out, so I, was, I drove Sunday. Mm-hmm. So, but again, Monday, mm-hmm. as early as we could, we actually had the funeral. At the funeral, again, I kind of doubt you've ever been by a Jewish funeral, but uh, first the family gets together. They're going to tear their shirts. They're going to tear their jackets. Of course, that shirt and jacket is no longer. Um, and then they will ask forgiveness from the person. It is not an open casket. Right. No open casket. The box is closed. The family is there. After they've had their say, they then will sit down and the funeral will begin. Just uh, as an aside, again, I told you my father was a volunteer fireman. Mm-hmm. So the, the first rabbi starts to speak. And the doors were open. There are people outside, inside. And all of a sudden, the fire siren goes off. There happens to be a company about two blocks away from the funeral home. And the purpose of those sirens are, first of all, to make sure people know fire trucks are coming. Right. And to warn the kids and to call the firemen. So this thing goes off for a minute and a half. And you can't talk. You can't hear. It was just like a very interesting... We checked. Mm-hmm. It wasn't like somebody planned it. It just happened. We don't believe in things just happening. But it was very interesting. Mm-hmm. In any case, there's eulogies. Okay, my father, we, people spoke about an hour. It's not really time for jokes. doesn't mean people don't laugh. Right. There's a lot of, uh, um, there's a lot of tension for some people and pressure and emotions. So you do say funny stories. But the idea is we want to honor this person and the soul is right there. And if the soul is right there, we very much do not want to embarrass the soul. And I can tell you over the years, I go to a lot of funerals because of some uh, some of my jobs, and I feel bad for the soul because mm-hmm. I don't really know this person and I'm listening to children speak or others speak, and and I'm embarrassed mm-hmm. for the uh, for that for those people that are talking. All right, okay. one day maybe they'll figure it out. But that's that's okay. So I can tell you these were very. Very uh, beautiful eulogies that were said. Torah study, good deeds. Like when I go to a funeral, I want to hear your good deeds. Tell me something this person did that was good. Tell me what the world lost because this person is not here. That's really, when I go to a funeral, that's what I want to hear. Right. I think it's appropriate. Okay. Um, then the coffin is carried out. In this case, the, my, the, my, the grandchildren carried him. There's a procession. I told you my father's led fire trucks. And then when they get to the cemetery, they walk the coffin. The pallbearers walk the coffin. They put it. Okay, they have these pulley systems. So no one should get hurt. They lower it in. Right. And then dirt is, is put in by hand. We don't just have a truck dump it over or roll out like that fake grass. They actually put the dirt on. They really want the children using actually the back of the shovel, so it takes a little longer yeah. to put the first bit of dirt on. Again, it's all, whether it's psychological, whether it's emotional, it's very healthy. It makes it very real because it's a surreal moment. Right. And then they fill up with dirt, and you really want, again, the honor is that people by hand, and there are more than enough people, will take shovels and take turns and fill it up. So you fill everybody there fills up Fills it up themselves. It's not uh, whoever uh, works at this. Someone working at the cemetery filling it up. It is you're doing it yourself. Right. You. We prefer that. Obviously, if there's not people strong enough, you're stuck. Right. But if you have enough people there, and certainly younger people, not like myself, strong, let them take those shovels and fill it up. It takes. I don't know. It takes ten, fifteen minutes. Takes some time. Right. But that's considered a very big honor. For the person who passed away, okay. that that by hand it's being filled up. 
Then some prayers are said, and everybody makes their way home. Mm-hmm. When we go home, there's actually a special meal. Um, what's special about it is there's a, there's certain foods that are served. Eggs. Some people have lentils. We did not. Uh, some people have some type of round cake. We had bagels. But the idea of round is, again, is fascinating. It's a message to the mourner. The, world, the world's a circle. It goes around. We're born. We live. Hopefully we live a good life. We die. Hopefully we live over children. Hopefully those children will, uh, will lead a good life. But the world goes around. This is part of life. And we actually sit on very low chairs or on the floor. But the floor is kind of hard on the back. So the chairs raised up, I don't know, 9 inches, 10 inches, something like that. And you sit on those chairs actually for a week. A whole week. Better than sitting on the floor for a week. Better than sitting on the floor. Some people will sit on the floor. But we're not sitting on a regular chair. When you want to eat supper, you're not sitting on a chair or breakfast. You're sitting, we'll call it on the floor. And people will sit in chairs around you and they will talk. Right. So this really goes on for a whole week. And the idea is that people will come and visit. And we'll talk about that. And they'll talk about the person who passed away. They'll talk about his good deeds. They'll talk about their memories. And as a child, I, I don't want to say enjoyed, but I appreciated all these people coming to tell me stories I didn't know, to tell me they felt bad, to comfort me. And we'll talk what is comforting and what's not comforting. Mm-hmm. But again, and I saw it from people that were there, the process. And it takes a week. You're supposed to cry. You're supposed to be unhappy. Nothing right. wrong with crying sometimes. People think you can't cry. It makes you look like uh, weak or something. Sometimes you got to cry. Otherwise, the psychologists love these people that don't cry for a week. Because then give them a couple weeks and these people are basket cases. There's a reason for the process. There was a before you got here today, Leonard and I were talking about something similar. It didn't involve a death, but uh, and it still involved loss. And you know, you have to grieve properly. And I myself did not grieve properly in the situation, but it, it caught up with me. It did catch up with me. So, so you know the feel. You know what I'm talking about. I know about. exactly what you're talking about. Okay, trust me. The psychologists, psychiatrists, they for sure get it. Yeah. Okay. Um, in any case, so I wanted to talk about um, just some of the things, once we're talking about it, what's appropriate? You'd be surprised. People come to a mourner. They do know what to say. They don't know what to say. If you don't know what to say, it's okay. Mm-hmm. You could sit quietly because the mourner appreciates your company. You mm-hmm. don't must talk. Um, like I told you, stories are the best. Mm-hmm. Either you tell stories, they tell stories. People like your stories. I can assure you, I said stories over 200 times. Each person walks in, same questions, same stories. It's good for me. Yeah. I got it out. My mother got it out. My brothers got it out. My sisters got it out. We interrupted each other. Uh, my sister only kicked me once because I must have been saying something to somebody, and uh, she realized it wasn't appropriate, so she kicked me a few times, and instead of saying, why do you keep kicking me, I figured I'll ask her later. That was pretty good. Yeah. Um, it's, it's People think that their job is to make the mourner happy. They'll say jokes. They'll say silly things to take their mind off the situation. That's not what the mourner wants. Because, so you're going to leave, he's going to remember again. And they usually don't have patience. They're just sometimes polite. Mm -hmm. So, but again, if there was a funny story 
that happened with the one that passed away, and I heard some of those stories, I laughed. They were funny stories, but they were they were they were they were fun to listen to. They were appreciated. And again, I've seen it before where people come in and say, Oh, you used that doctor. Oh, you didn't do this. You should have done this operation. You should have spoken to that one. I mean, it's a little late in the game yeah. <laughs> to fix some of those things. I got letters from people. Those are beautiful. But it really is an amazing process. So just one last story during the mm-hmm. process. Very interesting. There's a You try to have at prayers three mm-hmm. times a day, mm-hmm. or really twice a day, afternoon and evening or together, in the house in the morning. Right. So in our case, first of all, there was me and two brothers and there were some relatives. It was quite easy. Again, people came to help. It's necessary, and it's appreciated. And there are people that help and give themselves to the mourners. Amazing, amazing, amazing. But sometimes people are not in a neighborhood where they're going to get what we call a minion or a quorum of men for prayers. Mm-hmm. So he came to us. Right. So I told him, stay a little bit, sit. People will talk to you. It's okay. And one of the things, not that I have this problem... But one of the things is the mourners do not shave, certainly not during the week of mourning. And even afterwards, whether it's a month and then they'll start shaving again, there's a period of time they should not really be shaving. But this guy I saw was going to shave. He's telling me he had a $50 million business with IBM and he had to go. And I told him, he mm-hmm. didn't believe me. Mm-hmm. I checked this out with other friends. I said, you don't understand. If you go to the meeting and you're unshaven, Right, you're not clean shaven, and you explain to them. In this person's case, it was his mother. Mm-hmm. I said, "You explain to them. You know, my mother passed away, mm-hmm. and uh, therefore I'm in mourning, so I can't shave." They won't look down at you. They'll actually say, "Wow, you know, he, this is his mother. He's showing his care and concern for his mother. No big deal." He he wouldn't hear me. He mm-hmm. couldn't understand it. I tried. I tried, but he didn't believe me. Actually, last week I spoke to a friend, mm-hmm. not religious, and he said, of course, if, I, if I'm mourning for my father, this was, person was mourning for his father, mm-hmm. and, uh, and I don't shave, and I explain to people mm-hmm. why they're very understanding. Yeah. People are understanding. But, you know, he was, I guess he was intimidated. That's all I can say. Mm. Okay, yeah, one more thing. I guess there's okay. one more thing. This is just for a quick one. Leonard, can you put up that picture of my father's yearbook? I just thought this was fascinating. If you can get up that, the yearbook picture. It's kind of... Uh, it's not clean? Well, it, it's off to the side. You know how when you download things, you have to turn it to make it fit, but I can't it. Is that going to go up? There you go. I'm gonna... Let's see what we got. Oh, here we go. Oh, it's sideways. Look at that. It is sideways. Oh, man. Anyways... If you can all turn your head sideways and you can see the picture of someone who looks just like me, except the picture is about 60 years old. So you look under my father's name, right? On top you see his name. So there's a nickname over there. You're all turning sideways. Excellent. So there's a nickname there. So interesting, I asked some people, and I guess younger people never heard this nickname. His nickname, I guess, in high school, this is my father's high school yearbook, was Jaime. So Jaime is considered nowadays a derogatory term for Jew. You know, where does that come from, Jaime? You know, I don't know. I, 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 first of all, it's probably was a very Jewish name. Right. It probably, I'm not sure. I'm sure someone knows, someone will tell me. It was probably, I mean, my grandfather's name, I think, was Hyman. So it's, it's quite possible it was a Jewish name. 
In any case, I just wanted to bring it up just so you could think about it. Um, can you imagine nowadays a yearbook? Like you hear this all the time when kids in yearbooks, they put something inappropriate and they want to fire principals and, and it gets into the news and everybody's complaining about it. And Just imagine the uproar that that yearbook would have caused today. And you could use any example you want. I'm sure we could find lots of things that nowadays people are, are super sensitive. And in those days, I guess that was his nickname. I mean, I guess that was normal. I don't know. Lenard, are you trying to say something? No. Uh-uh. I'm it, just making sure that you it, all can hear me. Okay, good. It is a uh, derivative of, of, uh, of Hyman. Of the name it of is, Hyman. right? Yeah. Right. Uh, and uh, What do you got? Okay. It, Definition? Yeah, well, it, it says here that Jaime is a name for boys, has its roots in has its root in Hebrew, and the name Jaime means life. Jaime is a variant form of oh, Chaim, if you can. There you go. Good. Yes, yeah. good. It's been a while since I've seen that word in, uh, in print. Yeah, that word is really not in print. That word is is out. No one uses that word. You right. can pick any any ethnic group, and there's certain old time phrases that are out. I just thought it was. Interesting. Like Chaim? That one? Chaim is the Chaim. name. No, Chaim is a very common name. Right. Well, yeah. I, I have a son with that name. Um, but the nickname yeah. of Jaime is out. You don't hear that name. Right. I just thought it was interesting that, that if you tried it nowadays to write that in a yearbook, then people would just be in an uproar. I just thought it was interesting. Okay, fine. So as a reminder, as we move on, if you want to join in the conversation, it's 844-999-9249. That's 844-999-9249. Okay. I do have a joke, but I think, should I do the joke now? Go right ahead. We've been so serious. Right, I thought you were going to show the other picture of your dad. Oh, you could show it while I'm getting ready for my joke. Okay, great. Okay, I have another nice picture of my father. And that's a really, actually a recent picture, about a year and a half ago. If you remember, we talked a couple of weeks ago about the Torah dedication, and I had the, the Stearns call in. So that's my father holding the Torah scroll. That's really him, vigor, live. You know, he just loved life, and he loved everything, and he was so happy. And he looks really good in that picture. So I just figured, get the picture up. So now, just in case people, I put people on a downer, I have a joke for you. I have a joke. Here we go. And it even could apply to like this kind of business. Here we go. So Chaim, talk about Jaime. Chaim and Rivka Rosenberg were recently married and setting up their apartment with necessary furnishings. One morning, Chaim, this must be a story that's a little old. Chaim proudly came home with a new refrigerator. Now, I never came home with a refrigerator. That's what the delivery trucks are for. Right. He comes home with a refrigerator and uh, he noticed that the fridge didn't really fit into the kitchen. So he figured he's going to have to, you know, do something to the ceiling, do some maneuvering. He was at a loss. So he figured he didn't want to disappoint his new wife. He wants to show, you know, I can do these things. I would never do that because I know I can't do these things. But he wanted to show up to his wife, I could do this. But he couldn't do it. So he went into a side room and he calls one of these radio uh, do-it-yourself shows to Mm -hmm. figure out what to do. He gets on, he's discussing with the person his problem, the guy's giving the answer, and while he's talking on the phone, his wife bursts into the room. Chaim, you wouldn't believe it. There's a guy on the radio with exactly your problem. <laughs> okay, I got Leonard rolling. Okay. So how embarrassed was he? 
you know, that's the end of the joke. It doesn't say after the joke what happens to him. Okay. Right. You know, I had a similar situation with not being able to get a refrigerator through a door. And uh, I, I took a different route. I, I moved into a very, very old house in Detroit, and the doors were very narrow, and the refrigerator didn't fit. I did have to alter the door myself. You altered the door yourself. And yeah. I would call my son or one of my friends because I would just – it wouldn't work for me. I know me. Okay. Right. Fine. Let's move on. So at the beginning of this week's Torah portion – last week's Torah portion, yes. um, Sarah, Abraham's wife, dies. We need a little background. Um, I would have told you um, last week, um, we have the greatest of the tests of Abraham called the binding of Isaac, where Abraham brings Isaac up as a sacrifice, and at the last minute, God sends the message, don't sacrifice Isaac, I just wanted to see how far you would go, I wanted to see you trust in me, you believe in me. That's the end of last week's Torah portion. Mm -hmm. In the meanwhile, uh, different names... I'm going to say devil because I don't have a good English word. It's not the devil. We're going to talk about that. But the evil inclination, the Satan, um, goes, or the angel of death. Well, what, what would be the word you'd use in Hebrew? In Hebrew, it could either be the Yetzahara, the Satan, the Malachamaves, But that really means angel of death or Satan mm-hmm. or the evil inclination. Um, it's not devil. And I'm going to talk about why in a few minutes. Devil, interesting, actually, I was out somewhere and had somebody ask me about devil a couple weeks ago. But we'll, we'll get there. In any case, this angel mm-hmm. goes to Sarah and says, do you know where Isaac is? Remember that old, right? Do you know where your children are, that at 10 o'clock, 11 yeah. o'clock at night commercial? Right, do you know where Isaac is? And uh, no, maybe you better find out. So she goes, it says, to a city called Haran. And she, there were giants there. And she says, can you guys see what's going on? And they say, yes, there's Abraham, and he has Isaac tied up, and he's on an altar, and he's about to slaughter him, and she dies. She dies. So when Abraham comes back, he finds his wife, Sarah, Sarah has mm-hmm. died. And I guess he understands she died because she saw or she was told what was about to happen to Isaac, and she couldn't handle it. So that's how she dies. So, you need to know like this. It doesn't work that the the angel of death or the Satan, that he has to get back Abraham. And since Abraham is going to pass the test, he has to take it out on Abraham by killing his wife. Mm-hmm. There is no such thing. As people have a concept of a devil, that the devil fights God and, and he wants to get a person back and he doesn't like when he loses and he's a poor loser and a poor sport... There's no such thing. Mm -hmm. But if there's no such thing, then why did the angel set it up this way? And we'll have to assume that she was supposed to die when she died. Because that's how it works. God gives a certain amount of time for every person. The person has to die. Um, There are times where uh, it's the angel cannot kill the person. The person is like submerged in Torah study or good deeds. So the angel has to get the person to... You know, take a step back for a second so he's not doing his Torah study or his good deeds so the angel could kill him. That's fine. But this was her time to go. So if it was her time to go, what's what? why this interesting, unusual process of making it look like she died simply because uh, that Abraham is going to be upset when he comes back. My wife died because she saw what I was doing. 
So what's 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 going on? So I saw many years ago, and I like this answer. Um, that's a, and it'll lead us up to that concept we were talking about before that we at least touched on. And that is that Abraham did this amazing, he passed this amazing test, the binding of Isaac. This test that he passed was so important for the Jewish people throughout the millennia. Now also, throughout our prayers, we're always mentioning that God have mercy on us because Isaac allowed himself to be sacrificed. Abraham was willing to sacrifice his son. This is an amazing, important, more than a facet of our religion. It's our protection. It's in our prayers throughout. However, the angel knows that this is very important to us and very powerful. So he has one last chance to tarnish the good deed. If the angel can get the person, the evil inclination, can get a person to feel bad that he did a good deed, the good deed was done, can't take that away, but it's tarnished. It's, it's not so valuable. So therefore, the setup here was, what will Abraham do when he finds out Sarah died because of the binding of Isaac? If Abraham will say, if I would have known this was going to happen to my wife, I never would have done this. He has tarnished. You can't get rid of that amazing test that he passed, mm-hmm. but it would be tarnished. It would be ruined. And we, his descendants, would suffer because of it. There, that's why the, this angel, this evil inclination, the angel of death, set it up this way. Abraham being Abraham says, this is when she was supposed to die. This is the way it's supposed to be. I have to take care of her. So the beginning of this week's Torah portion is Abraham looking for a burial place for his wife. He needed a a, a burial plot. Some people like to have their plots in advance. Some people wait till they die and the family will find it. Interesting enough, in my father's case, um, they had actually signed on their plots. Now, my father was healthy. I'm not going to go through all the things. He had some issues, but his doctors had given him a clean bill of health. Well, Thursday night... Um, he and my mother signed on their plots. And then Sunday morning, he had a massive heart attack. But, okay, that's not what I wanted to get into. Um, there is such a thing of people knowing where they want to be buried. Abraham knew where he wanted to be buried. It's a famous area in Israel called the Ma'aras, or the Ma'arat Machpelah, or the Machpelah Cave. It's like a double cave. Now it's got a big building on it. It's in, it's in Hebron. It exists today. You can go there. Um, I've been there. I mean, it's famous. Mm-hmm. I mean, in Israel, a lot of the tourist places to go were famous ancient sites, which happened to be graves. But okay, that's what people like to do. Um, he knew about this cave. Who was buried in this cave? So Adam and Eve were already buried there. And there were actually six more spaces. I guess it wasn't such a big cave. Um, and Abraham wanted for him and his wife. And therefore, it would go to children and grandchildren. Eventually, Isaac and Rebecca will be buried there. And eventually, Jacob and Leah will be buried there. So Abraham wanted it. So he knew where it was. And he also knew that nobody knew who was buried there. As if you were to tell people, um, I want this uh, cemetery area because the famous Adam and Eve are buried there. <laughs> Forget about it. Tourist attraction. Uh, a little booth will go up. People will sell tickets immediately. He will never get it. It's not happening. So therefore, 
he first actually has to take care of something fascinating. He has to take care of the zoning laws. Right? You can't just make a cemetery wherever you want. You want to buy land and use it for a cemetery? So first he has to speak to the children of Chet or Ches and to get permission. And they say, Abraham, you're a very important person. Whoever you want to talk to, no problem. Um, you can go ahead and, uh, and bury uh, Sarah there. It's our honor. So Abraham says, great. I need to speak to Ephron. Ephron owned the area. So Ephron was a, a newly appointed, uh, I don't know, mayor, governor, politician, a real politician. What does he say? He says, Abraham, I mean, it's a big crowd. He's a politician. Mm-hmm. Abraham, it is my honor and pleasure. I will give you the cave as a present. Please take it. So he's got the zoning. Mm-hmm. He's got the plot. Mm-hmm. And he's not a fool. So he call, He says to Ephron, maybe we could just you know, do the paperwork you know, privately in a side room. Mm-hmm. So he goes to Ephron and he says, come on, let me, let me pay. Mm-hmm. So Ephron says, no problem. What's 400 big silver coins between me and you? Now, I can't tell you the exact value, but I've seen written down that could be $2 million nowadays worth of silver. So I don't know what it was worth then, but uh, from being publicly free to going into the back room and all of a sudden the deals changed a little bit, but it seems Abraham was happy about paying for it. He did not want any questions, any issues which is going to be important uh, later in the Torah. For Isaac, it's going to be important. For Jacob, it's going to be very important that there will be no questions asked. This is a cemetery. We have changed the zoning laws. It wasn't a one-time deal. It was, a fa- it was meant as a family burial area, and that's what's going to happen. Now, we actually say about this Ephron character that he's a big talker. There's a nice Hebrew phrase. He talks a lot, mm-hmm. and even a little he doesn't do because he promised everything because it made him look good. But at the end, he, he, he offered nothing. That's really in contrast to Abraham, um, and this goes back last week. We would have talked about it. When the angels come and Abraham invites them in for a meal, so if you look at the words of the verse, it's fascinating. He says, could you please stay? I'll give you some bread and water. Bread and water. That's the offer. Then when we see the meal, it's a feast. Meat and milk. Okay, meat and milk is a Jewish problem, but we're not going to worry about that right now. But he offers them a whole spread. Why? Because better, I don't offer you everything. Let me offer you what I can for sure do. If I can give you more, it's beautiful. If I can't give you more, at least I don't sound like a fool. So Abraham is the one who says little, but he actually does a lot. In contrast to this Ephron character, Mm -hmm. who says a lot, and he doesn't even do a little. So, um, okay. Oh, we are moving along over here. Um, Actually, I remind myself of a story before, talking about, I figure it's just worth repeating. Um, When we talk about that anybody who does a good deed, right? Abraham did his good deed. He did the binding more than a good deed. He did that amazing deed, so the binding of Isaac. He didn't want to tarnish it. So many years ago, as you know, I'm a teacher, I'm a fundraiser. I was meeting with a friend, and he had been a donor. He's still a small donor, 
His name is Steve, which is fine because I know about 200 Steves. My kids always ask me, they say, everybody you know is either Steve or Mark. I said, no, I have a few other names. But yeah, I looked through my, my list and Steve and Mark seem to win the prize. It's a common name. Pretty common. For both of them. Yeah, yeah pretty common. So um, he told me he used to be a very large donor to Federation, Jewish Federation, other stuff. And uh, his business went south. I, this must have been 2007 when Kmart and other companies were uh, were collapsing. So those were his – he was a big supplier to them. He supplied, um, I think, uh, baby stuff. When, when they started collapsing, his business was done. Right. was over. So he said to me, my friends are coming and telling me, and they're saying, don't you feel bad that you gave all that money away? And if you would have held on to that money, you'd have money in your bank account, right? Tarnish the good deed, his evil inclination. And he was very good. He said, I do not regret at all any charity I gave. I don't regret at all. And that, I think, is important for people to have in mind. When you do something good, never let somebody convince you that you made a mistake. Because you're tarnishing your good deed. Why, why ruin your bank account that you created? You have this beautiful bank account, and, and you're just throwing a monkey wrench into the whole thing. You just never regret when you have the opportunity to do something good. That's just a, uh, just a, uh, more than just a for your information. Or as I, my kids recently were teaching me all kinds of uh, abbreviations, I didn't get half of them. It's just a different language. <laughs> but that's okay. No problem. Okay. So now, we talked about earlier, the world goes around, the world, uh, we are born, we live, we die, and we're supposed to get married. So Isaac is uh, 40 years old right now, and he is not married. And Abraham says, it is time to get my son a wife. Abraham's an old man. He cannot travel. He does not want his son to marry anybody in the neighborhood. He knows who lives in the neighborhood. <laughs> and it does seem in those days family was a big deal. Yeah. It seems it was a very big deal. So Abraham wants a girl from his family. And they weren't so worried about marrying cousins or nieces. Mm. They had no problem with this. We do. It's not yeah. healthy. But certainly in those days, there was never a problem marrying those close relatives. Mm. I know people think of Kentucky and Tennessee, and I'm not <laughs> making fun of anybody. <coughs> hey. My cough button, I hit it too late. Here we go. Sorry about the cough. Anyways, so he wants a girl from his family. Abraham is an old man. He cannot travel. It's a long distance. It's pretty much going from Israel to Iraq. That's where he's going to have to travel. He cannot do that travel. And the truth is, he doesn't want his son Isaac to travel either. Isaac is different. Each of the forefathers... There's only three of them. Four is not a number. But each of the forefathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, each was special in their own way. Abraham is kindness. Isaac is prayer. He's praying all day long. He's in his corner. It's him and God. He's not someone that uh, would be a good idea for him to travel, number one. Also, uh, Abraham said, since Isaac was brought up as a sacrifice, he's very holy, he should not leave the land of Israel. So that leaves him with his servant, whom he trusts completely. That is this famous servant of Abraham called Eliezer. Eliezer, the slave, the servant of Abraham. Now, i got to tell you something fascinating mm -hmm. about this. 
a boy in my class, is third graders. He raised his hand, and it had nothing to do with what we were studying. But it was such a good question, I had to answer it. He says to me, Rebbe, um, you know, the whole Torah portion last week, when it refers to this Eliezer, and in other Torah portions we have his name, it never says his name in last week's Torah portion. It only calls him the slave. And the truth is, I myself was wondering a little bit as I was going through some of the commentaries, they keep referring to him as the slave. They don't call him Eliezer. So the boy says, how come? We know his name. It's not like we don't know his name. So how come there's no mention of his name through the entire Torah portion? He takes up a big chunk, this slave of Abraham, this Eliezer. The slave of Abraham takes up a major portion of last week's Torah portion. So if his name is not mentioned, the word the slave is mentioned, I don't know, dozens of times. I, I, offhand, I didn't uh, Google to see how many times it says it. So I told him, I said, very good question. I said, that absolutely has nothing to do with what we're talking about in class. But it's such a good question, I'll answer. Mm-hmm. So I think someone uh, even gave me this uh, parable during the week. Imagine for a second, you could use any name you want. You could use We'll use uh, Donald Trump just uh, because it's convenient. But imagine for a second uh, somebody was Donald Trump's right-hand man. He ran all his businesses, all his corporations, and he was sent on a on a meeting to do something. He had a job. So he shows up, and the people say, okay, please introduce yourself. He's going to introduce himself as CEO, second-in-command to Donald Trump, his CEO. His, he's going to tell you. He is a very, very important person. That's just the way life goes. So this servant of Abraham is going to be traveling to Iraq to get a wife for Isaac. And he's going to be going to the family, and he has to convince them, it's worth your while, sight unseen, sending your daughter back with me. So if you want to impress the family, what you do is you say, I am the CEO of Abraham Incorporated, or Abraham Enterprises. Abraham was a very wealthy man. The last thing you want to say is, I'm a slave, and it's my job to get a wife for, mm-hmm. uh, for Abraham's son, Isaac. Mm-hmm. Like, hello, you're, you run this billion-dollar billion corporation or whatever. His, I mean, Abraham was a wealthy man, and, and, and you want to convince me to send my daughter with you because you're a slave? Like, what gives? That's a very, very good question. Right. And the answer is that it's true that he could have prided himself in who he was. But the Torah is telling us that this servant, this slave of Abraham, this Eliezer, did the entire job. No ulterior motives. He's not looking for any fame, not looking to be important. He was doing it completely as the servant, as the slave of Abraham. That was his personality in this situation because that was the job. You're not doing anything on your own. You're doing exactly what Abraham said. It's an interesting thought. So in any case, Abraham gave him actually very, very clear directions of what he was supposed to do. You're going to go back to my family. You're going to find a girl from them, from my family. You're going to bring her back. I'm going to give you 10 camels loaded with all kinds of gold and silver and fruits and who knows what to, to make it quite clear 
that uh, the person this girl is going to be marrying is quite wealthy and it's in your best interest, that's your job. That is your job. Now, it's interesting, this idea of, uh, I guess it's almost like matchmaking over here, that Eliezer was working as a matchmaker. I mean, that's still done today, by the way. Certainly in, uh, in Orthodox cir- um, circles. I mean, now you find that there's, I don't know how many websites. Uh, J-Date, that's, the, that's a Jewish dating J-Date site. J-Date is a Jewish one, but there's so many yeah. of them, uh, angels and... And I don't even know all the names, but yeah. there's there's got to be a dozen, if not more, yeah. of these dating websites, and uh, which is the concept of matchmaking. And there's there's a lot to be said for it. And as parents, we'll check out both sides. It makes sense. Everything fits. We know what you want. We know what she wants. Now it's just a question of chemistry. Instead of trying to figure out if you people even want the same things in life, like... If you're seriously trying to get married, so to go to a bar to pick up a girl to find out you don't have the same values, and if you had to pick somebody up in a bar, I'm not sure what your values are, but I'm sorry, that's for all those people I've just insulted. Um, But you get the picture. So the idea of what we call shidduchim, or matchmaking, is ancient, certainly goes back to here, if not earlier, and, uh, and it works. It's really quite fascinating. A friend of mine, um, was a colonel um, in Iraq. Mm-hmm. And I was during the, um, I forget the name of those different battles, but in the Iraqi war, so he was a colonel. He was actually a, a, um, a surgeon. Mm-hmm. And he unfortunately had a very important job because he, he did joints. Like he could, well, nowadays he does knee replacement. Right. But on the battlefield, he's taking care of limbs. Okay. He actually, I think he even invented some joints and things that are used. He was in Germany for a while. Um, but he was in Iraq. So he said in Iraq, they would have um, civilians, Iraqi civilians, helping them mm-hmm. in their hospitals for different jobs they needed. So one time, one of the Iraqis there uh, was explaining to him and other soldiers how it works, how they get married. And it's the same thing. They mm-hmm. sort of live in compounds, a family, mm-hmm. and the families will contact each other. I have a son. You have mm-hmm. a daughter. Um, let's make a match. And then they'll agree to the match. I guess they meet uh, a couple times. And, uh, and then they'll move in to the family's compound. Usually the girl mm-hmm. will go to the boy's family. And in the compound, they'll build themselves a little hut. That seems to be how they do it. So the soldiers could not, they just couldn't get over it. This was like so beyond you know, the life that they're used to living, like, how could you do such a thing? And, and what kind of marriage is that? And forced marriage. And they, they, they couldn't handle it. So the Iraqi was a smart fellow. Mm-hmm. So he looked at the soldiers and he said to them, what's your divorce rate? In America, when you do it your way, mm-hmm. what's your divorce rate? Because I can assure you our divorce rate is minuscule. Are they allowed to even get divorced in Iraq? Yeah, I think they are because okay. it's not – I mean I think by Catholics they may have more of an issue of getting divorced. Right. I don't think they have an issue. It's just the fact is, which is the idea of the whole matchmaking, mm-hmm. the whole process, that if two people have the same goals mm-hmm. and the same wishes and the same wants, they do want children, they don't want children, what do they want their children to do, what kind of house do they want to run – you take care of a lot, a lot of stuff before you even get started. Instead of discovering two years into the marriage that she doesn't want any children and he wants a whole slew, like, this is not going to work. 
or or he's very religious and she hates religion or i mean there's lots of of ideas and 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 points you can find out you don't want to you don't want to discover them later and say well work them out those things don't work out right you know i can work out i can teach you uh, to you know, I don't know, put down the toilet seat, or how you squeeze the toothpaste, or or all the other little things. I get nods from Lenard. There's certain things. Okay, my wife may say there's certain things you cannot teach me anymore, and she's been <laughs> trying for all these years, but they're clearly not that important that uh, she has to throw me out of my head. So that's the beauty of that matchmaking system. That again, I'm not saying in America, even when there's matchmaking, where where you go back to the 50s and nobody was getting divorced. And now, unfortunately, nowadays there's a large, um, I mean, divorce is considered fairly normal. Just listen to the radio. There's 800 people advertising their services. But certainly when things go through matchmaking and that whole process, it's a much lower rate. Is the rate 10%, 20%, certainly nothing compared to runaway 50, 60, 70% divorce rate that we find in, I guess, modern Western um, society or civilization, if you'd like. Okay. Fine. So he is going to go, I said, with the Ten Camels, and he makes a very famous, very famous uh, request. Debatable if this request was appropriate. Okay. Okay, here's what he says. It's in the verse. It says, God, here I am at the water. Wise by the water. It seems it's, it was very common to find wives by the watering hole where they would get water to bring home. It's, you find this uh, in numerous places with many of the forefathers and Moses and others. He says, God, you got to help me out. Even though he was already told to go straight to the family, but I guess he wanted to, uh, to add to the, uh, to the game. God, let the girl who, who uh, is meant for Isaac, let her offer me water, and not only me water, she should offer my camel's water also. Interesting request. Mm-hmm. And sure enough, he sees uh, this Rebecca coming, and uh, he sees the water coming up to her. He, it seems he realizes he's a special girl. He runs to her, and he says, maybe give me a drink of water. And she says, sure. She gives him a drink of water, and she says, and now maybe let me give you camels. And Eliezer is overwhelmed. Debatable if he asked her first, Whose family are you from? And she said, I'm from Abraham's family. We don't need to go through the names. Um, Or he asked afterwards, and he gives her rings and bracelets, and he goes to the family, and the rest is history. Mm -hmm. The question is, why did he want her to offer the camels? And why did she offer the camels? I mean, she's a little girl. Mm -hmm. You offer somebody a pitcher of water. Okay, a pitcher of water. How much water? I said, I'll fill it up again. Big deal. Camels? You can't just take one pitcher of water and give it to the camels, you're going to have to go back and forth, I don't know, 20 times, 30 times, 50 times. I have no idea. Right. I don't, I've never watered camels. But my understanding is they drink. Yeah. I mean, I, I look at how much water my Doberman drinks. I can only imagine how much one camel does. I mean, that's uh, going to be gallons and gallons and gallons. The camels have two humps, so of course that's where they store all their water at. That's right? fat. Um, yeah, I'm not sure if that's but, their fat. But they, that, that's their fat, but they do have a, lo- a large water supply. But that was a good try. But okay, fine. In any case, anyways, what, what was the idea? What was behind this? So think about this yeah. for a second. Think. We like to think. She has offered the pitcher of water to a total stranger. It's a kindness thing. 
It's just about kindness. Of course it's kindness. Yeah. So you have offered a pitcher of water to a total stranger. Right. And the stranger takes that bottle of water, here's your pitcher, and gives a drink. Yeah. And hands it back to you. Now what do you do? Now remember, officially she's getting this water to bring home for the family to drink. What are you going to do? He's had a little drink from the water pitcher, and now he gives it back to the girl. What are you going to do? As far as is what she would do? What do you do with the rest of the water now? Give it, well, she, obviously she gave it to the camera. I know, but, I know. Yeah, I know. but. But what would like, you do? What would I do? Yeah, what would you do? Well, if I see someone traveling in the desert like that, I'm assuming it's desert because of the location. Okay. And you, they have all these animals. I'm an, I love animals, so I ah. would offer some water to these animals. That's how. That's the way I would do Great. it. I would offer to help. Okay. So you're not helping me in my conversation, but okay. I do get you. Here okay. we go. Listen to this carefully. Yeah. I mean, he is a big guy. You could say, you know, here's water for your animals. She can't take the water home. Right. A total stranger just drank from this. You don't know what disease this guy's walking contaminated. around. Contaminated. Yeah, contaminated. Yeah. So what are you going to do? You're going to spill it out on the floor? No. That's pretty embarrassing. Right. Right? So, therefore, not only do you have to have the ability to do kindness, but you need to have the ability to do kindness using your brain. It's not good enough just to be a kind person. There has to be sometimes some thought. Go ahead. I think I see where you're going with this. Is if she's given her, given the water to to, to 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 him and the camels, she could get ask him and to use his camels to bring back more water. No, 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 no. I'm no, but gonna... that's I see. I'm I'm just using my outside the box. But... Oh, that would be outside. The box. So she's not going to do that because uh, they only need water for drinking. However much water. Yeah. They would use. They're just going to use that water for drinking. Right. So, um, so therefore, it's called kindness using her mind. I'm not going to embarrass anybody. Right. Right. I'm not going to be a fool. Right. So, therefore, I have to go ahead and re re uh, offer the water to right. Eliezer and his camels, and therefore I can. Uh, and therefore, she's going to have to fill his camels, and then, uh, of course, we get to the end of the story. We live happily ever after. <clears throat> mm-hmm. Hey, I'm losing my voice. We get close. Ooh. Oh, well, we are staticky on the music as we wrap up. And I didn't even have time to ask if you learned anything today. You learned anything today? Oh, of course. You learned something? What did you learn today? Well, I well, I, I did not know that Abraham and Sarah were buried in the same location as Adam and Eve. That's a good one. Leonard, you learned anything? I can't hear you. I don't know if they can hear you. I didn't know that the souls kind of linger around after death. I mean, I know they do. But for how long and why is it important to make sure that you know the people are in the ground? Cool. Okay. Anyways, thank you to all my wonderful sponsors and listeners. I couldn't do without you. Thank you again, Ben and Leonard. And I am glad to be back. And for those who sent condolences, it's greatly appreciated. I hope I left you with uh, some food for thought. Until next week, I am Rabbi Sweet Jacobson. You've been listening to Let's Talk Torah, New Radio Media. And until next week, don't forget to think about it.